welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Today I got a whiteboard, and I'm going to teach from the whiteboard a little bit. Also, we're going to have scriptures up on the screen. So um, if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be jumping around to a few verses. Um, let me see, is, is, Amy, is Amy here? Ah, there you are. <laughs> it's always hard for me to find you. I'm like, oh, this is... Uh, yeah, before be, yeah before we get started, I did want to recognize um, we've been uh, this year we've been each month just taking a little bit of time to recognize different leaders of different ministries, and uh, many of you don't know this because she's a she's a covert undercover leader, um, but Amy uh, leads our cleaning ministry here at the church, and so. <laughs> So I just wanted to, to recognize her and thank her for all that she does. And if you come on down, Amy, how would you come stand up here so everybody can see you, folks online? I know. Take a step. There you go. And, yeah. and uh, Amy and her husband and uh, the, kids. the kids sometimes jump in, jump in here. Every Saturday they are here cleaning, mopping, sweeping, dusting, sanitizing, uh, going into the kids' room, sanitizing all the toys, because uh, those little kids like to put their mouths on stuff, and uh, cleaning all of that, and cleaning the bathroom, and just, uh, just making this place what it is every single week. And so I just wanted to recognize and just thank her for that. Um, she, has, she has a great spiritual gift of helps, which doesn't like to be in the spotlight, likes to come around behind and beside, and, and just do things that other people maybe don't want to do. Um, but she's been doing this for three years almost and um just faithfully every single week and even through covid lots of sanitizing and weird re regulations and stuff that we were working through um and anyway for her family and if anybody wants to join her uh she is taking applications it's a strict she might she might turn you down so it's a strict there's a there's a very high bar that you need like you like it needs to be the right hair color and you need to be the right height and no just kidding and step in and it takes about an hour or so on saturday and and uh anyway if you're interested in joining that ministry reach out to amy after service or leave a comment if you're on facebook leave a comment if you're on the website Unfortunately, we can't read your comments afterwards. So uh, if you're on Facebook, leave a comment. We'll reach out to you and we'll get you connected with Amy. But anyway, we just wanted to give you a, a, a gift card and just say thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And uh, if you see her after service, why don't you say thank you too? Just walk up to her, give her a hug. Um, if you have a Bible, we've been um, preaching out of uh, Psalm 127, but I probably don't even have time to get into Psalm 127. So uh, I have six points today uh, in the sermon. And so I have to, I have to jump in because normally it takes me a while just to get through like two points. So today I have, I have six points because what we're talking about, we've been talking about uh, raising children and how children are like arrows and God calls them arrows and God calls us warriors and so we've talked about uh, we need to take the arrow we need to shape the arrow we need to last week was sharpen the arrow um, does, anyone, does anybody remember what the point 
of parenting is. Does anybody remember what the point of parenting is? Can you shout it out? Okay, wow. Okay, so I'm going to preach that again this week. We're just going to, never mind, I'll just grab my old notes. The point, man, you, you forgot the point. I had one point last week. The gospel, that's right. Somebody's taking notes. All right, Kirk. Uh, the point of parenting is the gospel. And the gospel is twofold. The, the gospel is that we are sinners, that we start off as sinners, start off far away from God. And so uh, there's the humility of receiving that information, acknowledging that. But then it's also the good news that God has drawn near to us, that he has come near to us in spite of our sin, in spite of what we're going through. God is making himself available to us and his power is available. And so last week, man, we... Um, I don't know, I guess I was teaching you guys about, about parenting uh, your children, but also I was kind of parenting you all. Uh, just it was, This was kind of our living room, and uh, we were presenting the gospel um, to you, and many responded to the gospel, and I'm, I'm so excited for everyone. People that have been saved for years are still responding to the gospel. You never get past the gospel, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So uh, anyway, yes, so I'm, I, and I still want to have time today to, for you to respond to this message. But um, the truth is, uh, we, we, got, we got another step to cover. And if you want to listen you, uh, online, you can listen to the, the point of parenting or the, the point really of all of life, the gospel. Uh, but also, if you just take a, an arrow and you shape it, you sharpen it, and you, and you place it on the bow and you pull it back and you fire it, uh, if, if it doesn't have these little feathers on the, on the tail end, what's going to happen is it's going to start off pretty straight and pretty well, but as soon as it encounters any kind of wind or any kind of opposition, it's just going to go off in any particular direction that it, that it goes. In fact, it won't even stay straight. It'll kind of swing around like this, and you might hit the target, but you'll hit it, you'll hit it flat, you know. It won't, it won't, it won't maintain the direction that it was, it was intended to go in if it doesn't have the feathers in the back. The feathers are to create balance. And so in our kids, we want to, yes, we want to shape them. We want to help them see the shape that God has for them, the God's plans, God's thoughts for them. We also want to sharpen them to receive the gospel, to believe the gospel. But we want to instill or install something um, inside of them that creates balance. There needs to be an internal capacity that is able to maintain the direction, the Godward direction inside of their life. There needs to be something, not just on the front end, but something back here, something a little bit deeper, something a little bit further along this arrow that helps it maintain the direction in spite of opposition. Because as soon as you release your children, uh, whenever that is, wherever, they may be released to college, they may be released to trade school, they may be released just simply to living on their own. As soon as you release them, now, now they're going to come across all kinds of opposition. And so I know that, that we're talking about children, but I'm also talking about you. <laughs> uh, as soon as you were released, you started encountering opposition. And if you did not have some, some internal capacity to maintain a Godward direction, you may have wonderful uh, ideas, you may have wonderful aspirations and wonderful intentions, but you keep just kind of hitting the target sideways and flopping through life. The truth is God wants all of his children to have an internal capacity to maintain. An internal command. The key is not obedience. The key is long obedience in the same direction. 
The key is, is long obedience in the same direction. This is where you get fruit. This is where you get, this is where you get results. This is where you see the glory of God in your life. Momentary bursts of obedience really don't result in very much. It's, it's kind of like firing an arrow off and just kind of ting, 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 bounces around. But God has a particular plan for you. And so he is going to, throughout your life, he's going to constantly, you know, see this wonderful sharp end. Oh, that's great. This beautiful straight shape. This is wonderful. But now he's going to start hacking into you and inserting things into you. And you say, what, what, what is that? This isn't, this, is, this isn't part of who I am. You're adding more. Yes, I'm adding capacity for you to be able to maintain. In other words, like you need to internalize the gospel. We need to internalize the gospel, not just believe it in our head. It has to come down from our head down into our heart. That's what Romans, I think Romans 10 talks about that. If we, if we, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, this is, this is where salvation happens. Things on the outside, but also something changing on the inside. And so he has to install or instill some things inside of us. And so just, just simply from a parenting perspective, I guess I want to help equip those of you that have children, whether they're young uh, or teenagers or 35 or 42-year-old kids, uh, we can still help our people around us. We can help instill in them the capacity to maintain what God has started. Does that sound good? So we want to do that for others, but also God wants to do that for us. And so once again, I kind of feel like this is our living room today. And I just, I just want to help you all receive the, uh, I don't want to say feathers of the Holy Spirit. That just sounds weird. But the, I don't know, the, the balance of God, the deepening of the work of God, the internalization of the gospel, that it goes from your head down into your heart, something that you believe to something that you that you rely on. See, the beauty is, the beauty is these, these feathers, when you release this thing, the feathers, they actually work with the opposition. They work with the wind. So the very thing that tries, the, the most dangerous thing to an arrow is the wind. That's the big, biggest thing that's going to throw it off target. The very thing that tries to throw it off target, the feathers utilize that force to help maintain its direction. So some people, they come across tragedies in life and it causes them to doubt God. Other people come across tragedies in life and it causes them to absolutely believe in God. They were kind of certain before, but once they went through COVID, now they know that God is real. They know that God is a healer. They know that God is present, right? Certain disappointments cause people to become resentful of God, but it causes other people to rely even more heavily on him. Because whom have I in heaven beside you? Right? And so sometimes heartbreak and heartache may push us away from God if we do not have an internal stabilizer inside of us. But if we have an internal stabilizer, the very opposition that was meant to throw us off track will help us stay on track. That makes sense? So they're, they're, like, that's the stuff that Scripture is talking about, that First Peter and Second Peter is talking about when it talks about suffering, helping, uh, helping making us more holy. And we're like, oh, uh, no, suffering makes me more doubtful and scared. And Well, that's because you don't have the internal balance. You haven't internalized the gospel. You've believed it, and you've received it, and you've said, yes, that's true, and I'm going to try to live according to that, but you keep trying. Flink, 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 flink. <laughs> Flink, flink, flink. And, and it's like, it's just not working. It's because you have to internalize the gospel. 
It has to come inside. And so uh, today I just want to look at a few questions, six questions actually, um, that I, I ask my kids um, just kind of on a weekly basis. We have a little family sit-down time, and it's helpful, I think, to ask as a group, uh, not just one-on-one with kids, because what's cool is one-on-one, you have a perception that you're struggling, but your brother or sister is perfect, right? Or you have a perception that you're doing great, and it's all your brother and sister's fault. But what's beautiful is when you get as a group and you ask these questions as a group, you realize, oh, their struggle is also my struggle. We're not that different. And so there's six areas of of conflict, six headwinds, I guess you could say, six battles that we're going to face, that you're going to face right now. You're probably facing, as I talk to you, wherever you're at in the room, and especially when you walk out those doors and get in your car, you're going to face six main battles throughout your life. So I created, last week I had a handy list, this week I have another handy list for you. If you want to take a picture, you can, it'll be up on the screen, Um, but I just... I just want to look at, um, yeah, at, at these six panels. These are taken from Bill Gothard's um, uh, Basic Life Principles Manual. Uh, that's, a, that's a seminar I went through when I was like 12 and then again when I was like 14. And, and it just made a huge influence on my life, and I still have that. So I'm taking my kids through it, and the very first page, it kind of gives the outline, which is these six principles. We haven't got very far past the first page. We're just on the first page until we really know and understand these six things. And, and honestly, I find it helpful just to talk, discuss with my kids about these six things. So today I want to discuss with you all these six battles. So the six battles that I think help internalize the gospel, six headwinds. The the first one, uh, if we could put that up on the screen, is assurance of salvation. So if you're alive today, you're going to have the battle of uh, an assurance of salvation. In other words, am I saved? So before you're saved, the Bible tells us that everyone who is not saved, they live with a certain sense of fear of death fear of judgment. They know that they're doing wrong. They know that their life is not what it should be, and they live with a certain sense of fear. So if that's you today, uh, I got good news. You don't have to live with a sense of fear of death or judgment. You can, you can live with joy and peace. Uh, and if, but for many of us, we have put our faith in Jesus, and now the question is, am I still saved, right? And so even after you put your faith in Jesus and trust him for salvation, the enemy is going to continue to battle you with regard to an assurance of salvation. So this point, actually, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on because this is shameless plug. This is what we're talking about on Wednesday night. So Wednesday night is all about salvation um, by grace through faith and uh, City Chapel University, 6.30 on Wednesday night. And actually, if we have that slide, why don't we just put the slide up? Uh, We started this past week, and even if you didn't come this past week, you can come this week. We've, We've made it topical so that any given week that you want to come be a part, you can come be a part. We don't have childcare. Um, but we had a lot of kids in the room with us, and they were just learning along with us, and I thought it was great. And so anyway, we, we have a little bit of worship, we have some pizza, and then we have Bible study. So if you want to be a part, scan that QR code with your phone, then that way this afternoon I'll be able to send you um, the notes that we're going to be going over this coming Wednesday night. If you if you're already are a part, then you will have got those um, earlier, but anyway, if you want those notes, uh, scan that, and I'll send that out this afternoon. Um, but we're going to be talking about salvation. How do I, how can I be saved, right? What is the path towards salvation? How, how does that work? Uh, how do I know that, how can I know that I am saved? So one, one verse that we do have to show you is 1 John um, chapter 5, verse 13 says, these things I have written to you 
uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, see that word everybody? Can we shout that out together? That you may know that you have eternal life. So God wants you to have a knowledge and an a absolute confirmation that you have eternal life. So what I do with my kids is I sit down and I say, okay, scale of one to 10, one being absolutely not, 10 being absolutely, um, how, how much assurance of salvation do you have this week? And um, usually it's, it's never with my kids, they're pastor's kids, they have received Jesus, they have been baptized and they are kind of walking with them most of the time. And so it's never down below five but it's rarely all the way up to 10. And so I would ask you, just, it just like this is the Fleming living room right here, scale of one to 10 in your mind, how confident are you that you are a child of God, that you are born again, that you are going to heaven? So if it's, if it's more like five, it's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, okay, we can, we can talk about that Wednesday night. If it's seven, we'll talk about that Wednesday night. Because what happens is you start, you, start, you, you kind of filter some things and okay, this happened, but then this happened this week and I had that attitude. And, and you start thinking about all this stuff and it's important to filter it through the lens of scripture. Does that make sense? So funny story. I don't know if I have time for this, but we're, we're, I know I got six other points to go. Um, no, you know what? I'll share, that, I'll share that funny story on Wednesday night. That's a Wednesday, it's a teaser. So if you want, it's a, it's a teaser because what happened was we're, we're, we're recording a video. We're recording video, a Father's Day video. So, and, and after service, including after service today, if you have young kids, 13 to like three, and they want to come and record a little video, we're wanting to record a video for next Sunday for Father's Day. So we started last week after service, and then today after service is going to be available again. And uh, anyway, we asked him some funny questions about their dads. And uh, anyway, that'll be, that'll be good for me to share on Wednesday night. Um, number two, the second battle that you're going to be facing. I'm not going to call anybody out, by the way. I'll just, it's just funny. It's just, it's just, I'll call myself out what my kids said about me. But anyway, um, the second battle is sexual purity. This is a battle of sexual purity. And you're going to be facing this all of your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, widowed, doesn't matter. Pretty much all of your life, there's going to be a battle. Now, the battle will look differently if you're a woman and differently if you're a man, differently with different libido and all that kind of thing. But there's going to be this battle. And this is a battle because the enemy is going to assault you in the area of sexual purity. Because he knows that if he can break you down with regard to sexual purity, then he can break you down with regard to your purpose and your calling in life. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, it warns us to flee sexual immorality, right? To run away from it, to flee sexual immorality. And it says because the sin uh, that a man does outside the body, every other sin is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's an internal issue. And if you throw off the balance of the internal capacity to maintain the Godward direction, this is how the enemy can break you down and get you to veer off of your path. It's so closely tied to your identity. Your sexuality is so closely tied to what you believe about yourself and what you believe about others and what you believe about the world and what you believe about God. And so the enemy is constantly assaulting us. And by the way, temptation is not sin, just FYI. And so he'll also try to condemn you about that. Temptation is not sin. Scripture tells us what sexual immorality is. It's very clear. It's any, really, the easiest definition is any kind of sex outside of a biblical marriage is sexual immorality. You say, what's a biblical marriage? Because 
that seems to be up for debate today. Well, Jesus tells us what a biblical marriage is in Matthew 19. We don't have that passage up there, but Jesus said, Jesus said, don't you know that from the beginning, God made them male and female? That's gender. Really? Yes, yes it is. That's exactly what that is. And so male and female. He says, this is how he made them. And he said, for this reason, a man, male, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, female, and the two shall become one flesh. And once they become one flesh, they're supposed to never be pulled apart unless there's sexual immorality involved. Why? Because sexual immorality is huge. It is disruptive. It is, it is, it is explosive. Because this, this sex thing is really important to God. And it's really important to us. And it's really important to the enemy. <laughs> because the enemy knows that it's important to your destiny. That you maintain sexual purity. So if you're single, man, maintaining sexual purity is so important. If you're married, maintaining sexual purity is so important. And it never gets easier in any particular state that you are in. Don't, don't imagine that, okay, I'm going to drift now, but I'll settle down and get serious later. No, 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 no. You, 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 your direction of your, of your soul is in line with, with the direction of your sexual life. And, and you say, okay, I'm struggling with sexual purity. What do I do? And this is what I do. So, so for my kids, my kids are 13 and 11. Uh, they don't really struggle with a lot of the stuff that a lot of you all will struggle with right? Because they just don't have the opportunity, honestly, and they don't have the information and they don't, all that kind of thing. But they do have, you know, hormones going and they do have minds. And this is where sexual immorality starts. It starts in the mind. So I'm asking our kids, okay, scale of one to 10, how pure have your thoughts been this week? So I'll ask you, scale of one to 10, how pure have your thoughts been this week? Because this is, this is where Jesus draws the line for sexual morality, right? Jesus is talking about uh, adultery, and he says, You've heard it said by men of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with, 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 with eyes trained to lust has committed adultery with her. Now, that's a male standpoint, but ladies, uh, you guys got other issues as well, right? Uh, and, so, and so I'm just saying, it, but it call, both of us, men and women, it comes back to our minds. It comes back to our internal life. Every other sin is outside the body, but this one starts right on the inside. This one comes right out of here. And so the discipline, the necessity is to train our minds and to win this battle. And how do we win this battle? By the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't win it on your own strength. You don't win it by uh, just having an accountability partner, although that can help. You win it by the help of the Holy Spirit. You bring your sexual immorality and you say, God, I want to run away from this. I want to flee this. And so you ask God, Lord, where does it start? Alert me, Holy Spirit, where it starts. Alert me where I begin to go down that path. Because once I'm down the path, I can't necessarily come back. But alert me where it starts. Scripture tells us that in every temptation, he will give us a way of escape. Now, once you go into temptation, there's not a way out of the inside of it. But at every temptation, there's a door and you make a choice. And the Holy Spirit always creates another door for you to go into. You might not like that door. That door might not feel like it's going to fulfill you. But the Holy Spirit always gives you an opportunity to follow the will of God. And so if you truly are a son or daughter of God, if you truly are a child of God, you can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me see where it starts so that I can make a different choice and strengthen my choices, strengthen my ability to choose. 
One other thing that's really helpful uh, with this is, is fasting. Choosing to fast, giving up food for a day. And just making it a part of your regular routine. Uh, also, uh, uh, meditating on the attributes of God. For our kids, if they're, if they're struggling with self-control, I'll say, look, we need to build up your self-control. And so one biblical way to do that is through meditating. You spend 10 minutes only thinking on a particular attribute of God. Try that for 10 minutes. It's difficult. Because our brains are used to wandering, and it's the wandering that often gets us into trouble. So I'm just saying, if you have little self-control of your mind, if you always have to be entertained or focused or reading something or watching something or listening to something, then you haven't, you haven't yet, you haven't yet it developed the balance, the internal balance, to maintain <clears throat> a Godward direction in spite of opposition. Does that make sense? So go maintain it. Go work on it. That's your homework. That's your homework for this week. Go work on it. Go sit alone in a room and say, God, I'm just going to think about your um, faithfulness for 10 minutes. And my mind's going to start to wander. And I'm going to say, nope, I want, I'm going to focus on God's faithfulness. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, you, you already know how to do this. It's called worry. <laughs> you already know how to meditate. It's called worry. It's like, oh, this could happen, and that could happen, and oh my gosh, that could happen, and what if they say that, and what if they're actually thinking this, and what if that, and that's called worry, where you walk around and around and around an idea and see it from every possible angle. Like, you do it in worry, I'm just saying stop worrying and do it around the nature of God. You just walk around every possible, and actually what you're doing literally physiologically in your brain, you're creating brand new like trees inside of your brain of thoughts that are developed not around worry or despair or, 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 or sexual immorality, but around the faithfulness of God or the goodness of God, or the love of God. Just something that you think you know a little bit about, right? Grab one scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Okay, love gives, love sees, love knows, love sends, love sacrifices. And I'm just going to sit and think on the love of God for 10 minutes. And you do that every single day, and I guarantee you, you will start to have victory over sexual immorality. So many things that are just tied in. So number three, if we go back to the, the, handy, the, the handy list. Number three is a purpose in life. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us, and God wants us to know that purpose, and yet so many don't know that purpose. And so I know just here within the Fleming Family Living Room, if I were to ask you, scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you of your purpose in life, God-given purpose? My kids, being 13 and 11, they're not exactly certain. They're kind of like around 4 or 5. They're feeling it out. And that's actually the point of being a teenager, is to figure it out. I was, I was amazed. I went to Bible college and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm checking in, doing the orientation and everything. And uh, I, I was in a track called pastoral ministry. So that's for pastors. And uh, there's this other guy who became a good friend of mine named Justin. And I said, hey, uh, when did you start? When did, when did you first feel called to the ministry to become a pastor? And he said, oh, I don't know if I'm called to be a pastor or anything. I was like, what are you doing in Bible college then? He's like, well, my dad just said I was on a bad track of life and he wanted me to be in a better school and so he's paying for me to come. And I was like, that's a mighty expensive way to try to find your purpose. It's so much cheaper, actually, to just spend time in prayer, reading the word, serving others, figuring out what God is telling you to do. But anyway, but, but, but people, not only, they're not only 22-year-olds in Bible college who don't know their purpose, they're 45-year-olds who don't know their purpose. And they've just been making money all of their life. 
Or they've just been taking on this opportunity or that, or, or that. And, and no, God has so much more for you than that. So Ephesians uh, chapter 5, I think it is, tells us, if we can put that up on the screen. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. What does that mean? That means circumspectly, able to see around you. See then that you walk in a way that you're aware of where you're walking, basically. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise people, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the Holy Spirit telling us this. And he would never tell us to do something that he's not going to equip us to do. You're like, well, I don't know God's will. Whatever it is, it's just what out there. Maybe. <laughs> but maybe his children, maybe he shares his secrets with his friends. Maybe his children can ask wisdom and they lack wisdom and they can ask wisdom and he'll give it freely and won't hold it against you. Maybe you can come before him on a daily basis and say, God, what is my purpose? If he hasn't shown you that before. Maybe you can walk before him in such a way circumspectly so that you are watching for opportunities for effectiveness and you realize through watching what God is calling you to do. And so it's so interesting to me that so many people don't know their purpose in life. And my job as a parent, before I release my kids, is to instill in them the need to know their purpose. And so at eight years old, I'm asking them, what has God called you to be when you grow up? Not what do you want to be when you grow up, but what has God called you to be when you grow up? Because when I was six, I wanted to be a lawyer. Because basically you get a lot of money and you argue all the time. And I was really good at arguing and I thought I would be good with a lot of money. This is my, my six-year-old thinking. It turns out I am actually good at arguing, but God didn't want me to make a lot of money. So here I am being a pastor, right? So because he knows money wouldn't be good for me. But, you know, but God knows what's good for me. And I, and I submit to him and I, and, I, and I lean on him and he shows me my purpose in life. Your greatest purpose is to glorify him. Your greatest purpose is to know him. So if you don't know your purpose, just start glorifying him. Start knowing him. Start walking with him. And you will find that you have a purpose. It took Abraham, like, what, 70 years before he, God ever spoke to him what his purpose was? He was 70 years old in a retirement home with his wife. They just bought an RV and they were going to travel, you know, out of Ur. It's actually, that's, that's, that's in the message version. But like he, he was, he, he's sitting around and, and I mean, he's chilling and God comes to him and speaks to him and says, Abraham, I need you to go to this land that you've never been to. And in fact, I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just start walking and I'll show you. Right? And so he, he's filled with faith. He starts walking and it's awesome. God's biggest promise is if you'll follow me, then I will multiply your descendants. They don't have any kids. They're both pretty old. And God says, I will, I, you'll have so many kids, right? And like 15 years later, still no children. And there's Abraham, even older. There's his wife, even older. So, so what happens is God will all, you'll, you'll find your purpose as you attempt to follow God. Really, you're just trying to follow God. You're just trying to be obedient. You're just trying to put one foot in front of another in the direction that God told you to go. You don't have this big, grand idea. Oh, I'm going to be this and that and the other. Like people who have these big ideas, God often like breaks those down. Because even if you could figure out what God wants in the big scheme of things, he's not going to let you do it because it would be you. And so he wants you to know him. And so he wants you to walk blindly into the wilderness step by step, just simply sacrificing and giving to him and becoming more like him. And before you know it, you're going, he'll reveal your purpose to you. 
And then usually there will be a death of that purpose. He'll tell you what he's going to do, and then he'll let that thing die. And you'll be in the wilderness with a, a 95-year-old wife or whatever, and you'll be like 100, and, and you'll be looking around saying, I don't have any kids. And God told me I would have kids. Or maybe, you know, the disciples, Jesus goes to them, come to me and I'll make you fishers of men. Wow, this is great. Okay, we're going to follow Jesus. Miracles are happening. Great things are happening. He's going to restore the kingdom until they arrest him and kill him. The death of the vision. This is constantly happens. You're walking with God. He reveals all this greatness to you finally. And you're like, okay, I have my purpose. I have my vision. I'm going to walk in this. And then all of a sudden it gets taken away and it goes away and it seems like it's dead and buried. Right? Jesus even said a grain of wheat is great in the hand and it's great for the crop, but they're in between the crop and the hand. There's this thing you put it in the ground and it dies. There's always a season of the death of purpose. And if you don't know your purpose, when, when, when you enter the death of the purpose, you'll give up on your purpose. And yet God wants to create inside of us an internal capacity to maintain, to keep going forward even when the vision dies. To not change visions, change plans, right? Abraham looks around, he's like, well, I guess this lady could probably have a baby. And he changes plans. And it cost him. It cost him dearly. It's still costing the Israelite people. It's still costing the world. It's still much pain when we try to circumnavigate the plans of God. It's time and time again, I mean, David, right? God anoints David and Samuel anoints him. And wow, there's this great purpose and plan for his life. This is going to be great. And then he gets hired on as the harp player. And, and the king hates him. And the king is trying to kill him. Not exactly a succession plan. <laughs> it's not going so well, right? When, when, uh, when, when, when the lead guy wants to kill the, the, the up and coming guy. The death of the vision. He's on the run for like 17 years. Joseph gets these dreams and he's, and he's following God. And wow, everything's going to be great. And then his brothers sell him into slavery. And then he gets betrayed by Potiphar's wife. And then he gets thrown into the, the, the dungeon. And it's like his vision has died. But every single time when God speaks a vision over your life, God also brings the power to accomplish it, to make it happen. He pulls Joseph up out of the dungeon he gets Jesus up out of the tomb. He gets Abraham, stops by and says, you're going to, this time next year, you're going to have a baby, right? I mean, in every instance, God is faithful. But it is within that process that we learn to balance what we believed with our head and what we see with our eyes. And if you'll hold on, if you'll, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to carve inside of you this balance, Man, you'll, uh, even, even in my own life, I, I grew up serving God, six years old, going after God, believing that he had these great plans for me, and he did and does. And I was a part of a, 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 a great little church in Port Huron, Michigan, uh, Community Bible Fellowship, and I had it all planned out. I was going to be in that church. I was going to go away to Bible college. I was going to come back, be on staff at that church, and it was going to be great. I was going to take over. And, uh, and, and, you know, it seemed like the pastor was down with that. Everybody was down. Everything was great. They were training me. They were my spiritual fathers and all of that. And it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden, uh, we get asked to leave the church. My family, they, they still wanted me to stay. But anyway, uh, they wanted me and Peter to stay. But they wanted my parents to go. And I was like, I don't know. It's not really, I don't even, yeah. it's not really how that works. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to do that. And it was just this huge death of a vision. 
And it's tough when people that you look up to and respect when you suddenly don't respect them as much anymore. It's tough when you see things that you didn't plan on seeing. It's tough when people reject you who you thought were going to accept you. <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, God's purpose didn't change for my life. In fact, God wanted me out of port here in Michigan <laughs> as much as I wanted to stay. He wanted me to come down to the, the oven of, of America. <laughs> And this time of year, it's always like, oh my, oh, thank you, Lord, for sending me to Texas. I just, how can I ever thank you enough? I just praise his name. So thankful that he sent me to Egypt. I wanted to rule the world. I don't want to go to Egypt, though. Anyway, uh, I'm talking about Joseph. But, you know, because what happens is that God, God has his plan for us, but he allows that vision to die so that you don't fall in love with the church or the pastor, or the vision, or the ministry, or the salvations, or the cheers, or the music, so that you fall in love with him. And so you say, well, okay, what if I don't know my purpose? Get to know him, trust him. You say, what if I, I did that and everything fell apart? Oh, that's good. You're good. You're, 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 you're phase two, baby. You're almost there. That's a good place to be. I've been there. That's a good place to be. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it, but I'm telling you, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a bouncy ball. There's this drop, but then there's this rebound. And the drop has to be there for the rebound. God told you you get there, and he didn't tell you in order to get there, you had to get down there. <laughs> But, he, but every step of the way, if you believe that he's holding you in his hands, you can trust. You can't see his hand, but you can trust his heart, right? You can't see what in the world he's doing, but you can trust his purpose for you, his intention for you, even in the drop. And if you keep trusting the one who dropped you, trust me, it'll, you'll bounce back. <laughs> you'll bounce back. Number four, let's go to number four. The fourth battle that we face is genuine friendships. Your kids are going to face this battle. And I mean genuine, I mean, I mean good, I mean life-giving friendships. I mean people who are actually your friends. <laughs> Someone who's actually your friend will tell you the truth. Someone who's actually your friend will be honest with you. And I don't mean they'll be critical or they'll be mean. Someone who's actually your friend will, will support you, absolutely, but they will tell you the truth. They will, someone who's really your friend will be concerned about your relationship with God. First and foremost, they will be concerned about your relationship with God. And this is true of your kids, but it's also true of you. So here's my question, scale of one to ten, do you have any genuine friendships? Do you have any real friendships? And I know Facebook has messed us up with this, but uh, you're not going to have 3,000 of them, okay? <laughs> Just FYI, you're not even going to have five. Jesus himself the most perfect person who ever walked the earth, the most friendly guy who ever walked the earth, the most kind, the most truthful. He had three guys who were super close to him, Peter, James, and John. He had 12 that were hanging around him all the time. Of course, one of them wanted to kill him, so there's that. But he had three who were very close to him. And so if you have at least three people in your life who are trying to help you get closer to God, who you know that they'll show up, that they'll answer the phone when you call at any given hour, you are a blessed person. You are as blessed as the Son of God. 
And actually, really, you, don't, you only need the Holy Spirit, technically. But man, God blesses us with genuine friendships. God blesses us with people who will support us, who care about us, who check in on us, who know what's going on in our lives. And that's what we want City Chapel to be. We want, to, want it to be a gathering of these friendships where people can, can find other people who are concerned about their soul, but not just their soul, their spirit, not just their spirit, their body, right? That I'm concerned about you, all of you, and I, I want to see all of you the absolute best that you can be. And, I, and I'll check on you, and I notice when you're uh, slipping, I notice, and I'm not trying to call you out, I'm trying to call you up. <laughs> A good friend will call you up. A good friend will say, look, let me, let, let, let me, let, let me, let me help you pull, pull you up out of this. And sometimes they'll just sit with you in it for a while in order to pull you up out of it. And so the purpose, so do, do your kids have genuine friendships? Uh, Proverbs says that the, the, ones who, the one who walks with wise, the wise people will be wise. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. So it's, it's important who your friends are. It's important who you hang out with. And I know some people, especially, especially when it gets around teenager age, they're like, I'm just trying to find a bunch of good teenagers for my hellion to hang out with <laughs> it doesn't work that way if they find good friends and they're a jerk they're not good the good friends have already they, they, they got the jerk alert already they're like i don't want to hang out with you right i don't want to hang out with somebody who's going to tear me down i don't want to hang out with somebody who's going to beat me up i don't want to be friends with somebody who's not a friend to me proverbs says he was friends must show himself friendly must himself be friendly so the greatest way, if you're here and you're like, man, my teenager doesn't have any godly friends. Hmm. So all the godly people are like, yeah, we'll stay away from him. Why? Why is that? All the godly girls are like, ah, we're not going to hang out with her. Huh. Why is that? Oftentimes we attract who we are. And so if you want good friends, be a good friend. Meaning speak the truth to people in love. Meaning purify yourself, get rid of sexual immorality. Man, when I was a teenager, I was not hanging out with people who were involved in sexual immorality. Because I didn't need any extra temptation, you know what I'm saying? So I wanted to hang out with other teenagers that were going for God. I wanted to hang out with other teenagers that would come to the church and pray with us before service. I wanted to hang out with other teenagers that had an idea of what their purpose was. I'm not saying that they were, you know, Bishop Jakes or anything, but like they, they, they just had a purpose. They had a purpose and they were trying to walk in that. That's the kind of kids I want to hang out with. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to be a charity friend. I'm not going to friend somebody's teenager because they're really struggling. Well, I'll pray for them. But, but man, he, the companion of fools will be destroyed. So I'm not going to hook myself or link myself up on a deep friendship with somebody who just wants what the world wants, who just wants, because I don't want that to rub off on me because I know that I'm really close to that. I know I'm tempted in all of those things. And I'm tempted to think like that and desire that stuff. And, and I want to be people who are going to promote my spirit, man. And so if you want that, be somebody who promotes your own spirit. Your own walk with God. Get the victory in, in, in your assurance of salvation. Yeah, 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 go back to the list. In, in your assurance of salvation, in sexual purity and purpose in life. And then genuine friendships will just come to you. Not a lot either, but a couple. A couple good friends. And it doesn't matter how big your church is, you're only going to get a couple. 
You go to a church of 10,000 people and you're going to find a couple of good friends. Or it could be a church of however big we are. I don't know. It keeps changing. You get a couple of good friends. So number five is harmony at home. This is the other great battle that we're going to face. Harmony at home because harmony at home has so much to do with our, with our character and with our heart. It has so much to do with who we are uh, as people, how we express ourselves at home. And so with my kids, I sit down and I say, okay, scale of one to ten, how well are you loving your sibling? So Madden, how well are you loving your brother this week? And they're both sitting there, right? So they can't be like, oh, 100%. Um, it's like marriage counseling, you know, when they're both there. When just one's there, it's like, wow, you're doing amazing. Your wife is really struggling, though. Um, but when they're both there, you kind of get the whole, the whole picture. And so with the kids, the same thing. How well are you loving your brother? Because this is what you're called to do. So what Scripture says, to love one another. If anyone says they love God and they do not love their brother, that one is a liar, is what John says. And so, so honey, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, then you don't really love God. So let's help you love God by loving your brother. And so what we do is we just scale it one to ten. So just, just here in the living room, how well have you been loving uh, your coworkers? your actual brother or sister who you still have contact with, your, your uh, people around you, your spouse. How well have you loved your spouse this week? And you might not even be able to answer that. Sometimes, like with Madden and Micah, like if Madden's not really sure, I'll ask Micah, how well has she been loving you this week? Because sometimes you might have to ask your spouse, how well have I been loving you this week? And, 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 and even as adult kids, Right, you may have to ask your parents, how well have I been honoring you? Because that's the other question. How, how well have you guys been honoring your parents? Uh, a couple weeks ago, Madden asked me, uh, how have you been honoring your parents this week? And uh, she wasn't being, you know, snarky. She was just truly wondering. And, I, and, and, and so it gave me a chance to think. And I'm like, well, the way I honor my parents is I call them. try to call them every week because they really like that. So I try to FaceTime them. So yes, I FaceTime them a couple of times. I try to send them pictures of you guys because they really like that. I try to involve them in any big decisions that I have in my life. I check in with them, see what they think. We didn't have any big decisions, so I guess that was good. Um, you know, and I was just going through. I'm like, so I guess maybe, I don't know, I feel maybe like an 8 out of 10. You know, we, I, I probably could have done a little bit more, but I feel pretty good about it. And so it's, it's, it's good to even ask yourself, how well as an adult am I honoring my parents right, right now? And perhaps your parents are dead. How well am I honoring their memory? How well do I talk about them? All right, how, how am I honoring the memory of my parents? And you say, well, I don't know that that really counts because my parents are not very honorable. They were kind of lame. <laughs> and I totally get that. My parents were not very lame, so I have a lot to, to say about them. But everyone has something good to honor about them. Everyone has something that you can hold up and be like, yeah, they did a lot wrong, but this, they got this one right, and I appreciate it. Even here in Rocky on Mother's Day, right? Rocky was testifying about his mom, who didn't get a lot right, but man, she did some things right, and that's what he honored about her. And this is what we can all do. We can all honor our parents, no matter who they are, no matter what they were, no matter what they personally did. And you don't make excuses for them either. If they, if they were just jerks, if they were just ungodly, then that's just what they were. 
And it's not, and it's not, it's not your fault, but it is their fault, and they'll stand before God for that. But for me, I'm going to stand before God for how well did I honor my parents? Did I uplift them in private conversations, or did I tear them down? Do my kids have a good opinion of them, or do they, are they kind of scared of them? Right? And so these are all things that I have control over. I can honor. And you say, well, well how, 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 how do you do that? And, and why would you do that? Well, man, biblically, it is, the, it is the first commandment with promise. In other words, God has, God has assigned a promise next to honoring our, our parents. And that promise is long life. Did you know that your health can be linked to how well you did or did not honor your parents? I thought it was whether or not I was keto or not. No, like, we have such a focus. Like, I thought if I just avoided uh, Taco Bell that I would be good. Man, I'm telling you, we, there, there are biblical correlations that, that do not appear rational to the, the human mind. And you only see it in Scripture. And as you read Scripture, you say, wow, I had no idea that my physical health could be tied to the honoring of my parents. What in the world? I need to honor my parents. I need, I need to honor them. I need to, to respect them. I need to love my brothers. Because harmony at home is where is one of those places, man, that it doesn't matter if you are a child right now, if you're a teenager, if you are single right now, you're going home somewhere. <laughs> and the harmony of that home, of your family of origin especially, is so important. And I've, seen, and I've seen God set me up for life from this. Uh, when I was first, you know, when I, uh, I so I'm, I was, I'm three years older than my brother, uh, Peter. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but Peter and I are quite different. We, in every possible way, we look different. We think different. We uh, both, I think, annoyed each other quite a bit early on. Um, mainly because I'm perfect and then you have this perfect kid and then you have this crazy kid enter into the picture I'm just saying but no we were both just like Peter's Peter's reasoning is just so different from mine he would just say I like you know just regular stuff like like where do we go out to eat right and, and everyone's trying to decide and so Harry votes for this place and if you ask Harry why he wants to eat there, he'll tell you there's this particular thing he likes that's there and he feels like eating that, right? It's rational. <laughs> but Peter, like, he just wants to go to this other place and you ask him why and he's like, I just want to go there. And I'm like, that's not a reason. That doesn't count. No, I just want to go there. You're just saying that because it's not where I want to go. Well, maybe, but I just want to go there. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second. And so we would just, you know, be in the back seat, right? And he has his side. I have my side. I mean, we had the whole thing. We draw the line because we're just so different. I got like, I got, I don't know, maybe a handful of spankings in my life. Like seriously, you can, you can check with my parents. They broke multiple paddles on Peter's rear end. I mean, there was, the, there was the ping pong one, there was the wooden spoon. 
until finally Pete had this brilliant idea where we were we were doing construction in at the church and um and uh, we were we were uh we were tearing down like the upper they had this upper prayer room and we were redoing it and so they were pulling the molding off and pete found this bit of molding that's about this long probably should have had him bring it to church today but he found this bit of molding and he ran to dad and he's like dad this would make a great paddle he's like five years old i'm like what are you what what are you doing does, like, does anything happen? Like this just foam just comes right out. Like, what do you know? You don't, don't, don't equip them, you know? Gosh, he's just gifting dad this great. This won't break. And you know what? It never did. <laughs> he was right. It was a good paddle. And, and uh, yeah, and so this past trip, mom and dad were doing some cleaning. They brought it down. They brought down the the board for Peter, so I think he's probably going to frame it and like put it in his house, you know, or maybe use it, I don't know, with his own kids, I mean, he could say it comes in handy, that thing is serious, but, um, but no, like, we're just, we're just so different, and I remember, like, I, I, I remember just going, this is the, why would God, this is the question, why would God put me with somebody who's so different from me? It's 30, or I guess 40 years later, yeah, I'm 42 now, so uh, 39 years later, you know, I've been married for 16 years to a, a lady who is incredibly different from me. And, and God showed me early on. He said, Harry, like, I've put you as somebody who's so different from you, not so that you'll be defensive and mean and judgmental, because that's kind of what as a firstborn, that's what I would do because his reasoning isn't like my reasoning, so it must be stupid, right? He can't explain it to me in a way that makes sense to me, so he must not, his opinion doesn't count. That's my judgmental, critical side. But the thing is, if you, if you grow up like that and then you meet this lovely lady and you fall in love and opposites always attract, <laughs> the first time she says something crazy like, I don't know, I just want to do that because I don't know, I just feel it. You'll be like, uh, that doesn't count. And she'll be like, um, yes, it does. <laughs> and you will have your first fight. And you'll realize that you married your brother. <laughs> or your sister. I actually didn't marry my brother, but... But the truth is, I married somebody who is incredibly different from me. And, I, and, and my home prepared me to be launched in a Godward direction. That God didn't have to only let me marry somebody who was a lot like me because he knew that's the only people I could handle. By the way, it's also pretty helpful for pastoring. Because <laughs> you want to talk about some people that are different than you and I'm leading them and I'm pastoring them and I'm asking them to help lead other ministries and I'm raising them up and I'm training them and sometimes I'm like wow where did you what who okay you know and it, and it is okay because I don't have to understand your way that everything works for you for me to honor you as a person and to say your opinion counts your thoughts count. My mom talked to me early on and she said, Harry, 
Secondborns, which is Peter's the secondborn. Secondborns, they are a little more disruptive. It's just kind of their nature. They just, they just ask questions that people don't normally ask. They, they're a little more strong-willed. But she said, also, they're also far more loyal than firstborns ever are. Firstborns are kind of like, if it's working for me, we'll stick with it. <laughs> but secondborns are like, no, I committed to this person. And I'm here for the long haul for this person. Secondborns will move down from New York to help, uh, help you start a church and stick with you. And I've seen time and time again that every one of us, we're all different, but we have our strengths. And if we don't learn how to work together in the home, we won't learn it outside of the home. And so what happens is the home is a great place for God to say, you know what? You can work with people who are different than you. You just need to humble yourself. You can work with people because they got strengths that you don't have. They got stuff that you need. They got perspectives that you don't have that you need. They got stuff. And they're not perfect either. Like, it's not like you just bow down and like, oh, yes, do whatever you want. No, it's like you work together. And together, uh, I don't know, I think it was around 10 or 11, we kind of figured when I was like 10 or 11 or 12 years old, we kind of started figuring some things out, how to work together. Everything from playing catch in the backyard, who was going to be the quarterback, who was going to be the receiver, right? Like from like video games, right? Oh, that's not fair. Well, it's perfectly fair because it's in the video game. And so there's all kinds of ways in which, <laughs> there's all kinds of ways in which we had to work together. I remember one time Peter owed me, owed me $10 because I, I let him borrow $10. We were at a store. To, he, we were at a sports card store. I think I was like 13, and he was 10, and, and he borrowed 10 bucks to buy like a, like a baseball or football card, and we got home, and I'm like, all right, I need my $10 back, and he says, okay, all I have is a 20. I said, that's fine. I have some change, and so he gives me the 20. I give him a 10, and he says, well, that's not fair, and I said, well, what do you mean it's not fair? He's like, well, you're getting $20. I'm only getting 10. I said, that's because I loaned you 10. You owe me 10. You're in the hole, buddy. He's like, well, no, no, no. It's so, <laughs> so finally. But it's just, it's the way different people think. He was getting, he was giving up a $20 bill and only getting $10 bill back. And he's 10 years old, you know. He wasn't exactly advanced math at that point. And I'm 13. I'm a little bit older. And I'm like, oh, this still works. So finally, I, I just, instead of getting mad at him and yelling at him, because that's kind of what I just wanted to do. You know, as kids, I mean, I don't know if your kids, like, they just start just getting louder. Who can, who can top the other one? So finally, I was just like, okay, okay, all right. So let, how about I give you these two $10 bills and you give me the 20? That's fair, right? Absolutely, that's fair. Cool. So now you owe me $10 for the football card that I, that I, that I gave you the $10 for. Okay, and he gives me 10 And I said, now you still only have $10 left, right? And he was like, ah. Uh... <laughs> What's the, di well, the difference is the firstborn having patience for the secondborn. The secondborn is three years younger. He's only 10. And if we don't have patience for each other, man, if I, didn't have, if I don't have patience in my marriage, <laughs> if she's got to get it right the first time every time, if he's got to say the right thing that she's hoping he's going to say, <laughs> oh God, good luck. <laughs> He doesn't even know that you're hoping he's going to say that. He doesn't even, he's not, it's not like he's not, when he says he's not thinking of anything, he literally means he is thinking of nothing. There's nothing happening up here at this moment. They will when you turn the TV on or we start talking about something exciting, but right now it's just nothing. 
right? But we got to have grace for each other. We got to have patience for each other. Graciousness. We got to allow for other people's misunderstandings. Not, not get angry. Harmony at home. Fine. Final, final battle is your self-image. And I think so many things come down to a, a lack of self-image or really uh, just, an un, just a worldly self-image. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 2, and we don't have this passage up there, but it says we are God's workmanship. And that's in the present tense, meaning we are not a finished product. Can somebody say amen? We're not a finished product yet. We are God's workmanship. We are in process. We are God's workmanship. He is making us. And what that means is, even as you've been released and as you're flying, as you're facing so many of these battles, you need to keep in mind, I am God's workmanship. I am being made. I am being made. I'm not, I'm not a finished product yet. But one of the things that really stops our development is this, this wrong self-image, particularly around your body. So this is something that is especially true with kids. So this is one of the questions I ask my kids. All right, scale of one to ten. How grateful are you to God for your body? Notice the, the way I phrase that question. Not how happy are you with your body, but how grateful to God are you for your body? And so I would ask you, Fleming Living Room, scale of one to ten, don't shout it out. How grateful to God are you for your body right now? Ten couldn't be happier. One, wish I was anybody else. <laughs> Where do you land? One of our kids recently uh, said seven. How about a seven? Well, okay. So what, what gets you up to a seven? What are the things that you're just like, man, God really did well when he did this. And it gets you all the way up to a seven. What are those things? And so I just began to ask him and he was telling me. And I said, okay, what are the things that keep you from a ten? Like, when you think it's like, ah, not quite there. And it was so weird what he said. His version of himself was totally different from reality. Um, but this is so true with regard to self-image. The enemy is not trying to convince you of reality. He's trying to distort and steal your gratefulness to God. Because you could be the most beautiful, literally, the most beautiful person in the world on the cover of Time magazine, and the enemy is still going to be in your head saying, not quite there. Because he's, he doesn't care about actually how you look. He cares about how you think you look. Because how you think you look will affect what kind of gratefulness you have to God. And so I said, well, what's the thing? And so it is helpful uh, when I just ask you, and if you didn't say a 10, if you said some other lower number, it's helpful to ask yourself, hmm, why? Why do I place myself down, down there a little bit? And don't be ashamed of that. Don't be bothered by that. I think we all do that. We all have things about us that we don't like. We call them defects. <laughs> defects, right? It might be your weight. It might be your height. It might be your eye color. It might be your skin color. Maybe you're too pale, you're too white, maybe you're not white enough. Maybe you're black and you don't like that. Maybe you're too black, you like being black, but you don't like being super dark. In every pigmentation, the enemy is criticizing. In every culture, you can go America, you can go to South Africa, you can go wherever you want, and the enemy is criticizing. Why? Because it's not about how you look, it's about how you think you look. 
This is what's important. He wants to steal your worship to God, your gratefulness to God for your physical body. And so what happens is this is a struggle. This is a battle. If you lose this battle, I guarantee some of these other battles are going to fall apart too. Because you're not going to have harmony in a home if you're not, if you're not confident about your own body. You, because well, your brother or sister is going to say something about your body. <laughs> They're going to tease you. And it's going to hurt because you believe it. You're going, to, you're going to go to school, you're not going to find genuine friendships because somebody's going to point out something or you're going to see their body and it's so much better looking than your body and you can't possibly talk to them because of what you believe about your own body. Your own self-image can affect so many different ways. And even in ministry, well, I don't, know, I don't have any authority to stand up there because look, look how short I am or look how tall I am. Or there's, there's certain things about us. That, for me, it's my teeth, right? I was born without two adult teeth on the front. And then I was born with like more acid in my mouth that kind of breaks down my enamels. I have all these cavities. So I've always kind of been like unconfident about my teeth. It's like when the angel who was in charge of the assembly line, when Harry Fleming went through, like he started counting one, two, three, yeah, it's good enough. Send him on through the, oh yeah, he doesn't need all of them. He can still chew a steak pretty good. It's, it's you know, and so, and so it's, it's one of one of my defects. You know, and, and, and so, so I've, had to, I've had to deal with it. Do I, am I grateful to God for my defect? The thing I don't like about myself, the thing I would change if I could, right? Can I be grateful to God for my defect? And most of the time, the answer is no. I don't know how to thank God for something that honestly, if I were him, I would change. Why? Because really we want what we want. So you can even talk to a six foot two person and be like, what's your defect? Like, oh, I'm a bit too short, really. The shortest one in my family. It's like, well, you're six foot two. <laughs> you are not too short. But again, it's not about what you actually are. There's ladies that feel like they are overweight. And yet you look on like national average weight stuff, way under, right? They're just not what they want to be. The six foot two guy just isn't as tall as he wants to be, right? It's not that, well, okay, fine, averages, whatever. This is what I want. Well, there are some things that you can change. If you say, I don't have enough muscles, go hang out with Peter, go to the gym, do your thing, right? If you say, if you, say you, you, you want to lose weight, that's also possible, right? You can, you can do that. Say, you want to gain weight? That's usually possible. Most of these things are usually changeable, except there's some, some physical limitations, of course, and uh, certain diseases that affect this. But there are other things. That you can do some stuff about it. If you don't like your hair color, you can change it. Just get some dye and, you know, whip it in there. It's, it's whatever you want. Like, there are some things you can change, but there are certain things you cannot change. You cannot change your family of origin. You cannot change where you were born. You cannot change when you were born. You cannot change how old you are. You cannot change your gender. I don't care what other people say. You, like you, who you are on the inside, you cannot change that. You cannot change your height. Jesus said, by all your worry, and you can't even grow one inch. So you cannot change your height. Yeah, right? And so there's many things about you that you cannot change. And the question is, okay, can I be grateful to God for these things that I cannot change? And so what I want you to think about is this idea of workmanship. We are God's workmanship uh, is, is what it says. And so that's what got me thinking about this, this, this whiteboard. Not even so much for the idea of taking notes. I haven't even used it yet today. But I was just thinking, man, like we are God's workmanship. I feel like our kids are kind of like this whiteboard. 
and really you are a whiteboard, I guess, that he, 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 he picks us up and uh, he puts us, he puts us on, on, on his easel on the stage of life, but we're blank. There's just nothing there. And so we start going through some, some difficulties. We start going through some trials. And it's usually in trials that we learn about God. And what happens is we go through a trial. So I talked about our difficulty with the church that I was, we were with for so long. I mean, I learned there that God is faithful. Right? I didn't learn that people were necessarily faithful because sometimes people change a little bit. And that's okay. Because God is faithful. So I, you know, God began to write. And I mean, I had seen this in various ways in my life up until then, but God began to write just a word about who he is. And people who saw me go through that could see that God was faithful. People who walked with me through that could see that God was faithful. The truth is we are God's workmanship and he's not trying to make us beautiful. He's trying to reveal himself to the world. So in other times in my life, man, I've seen that God is uh, loving, that God loves no matter what, as God has forgiven me and, 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 and restored me and renewed me. I've seen that his love is persistent, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I've seen the strength and the power of the love of God. Even my own uh, unfaithfulness sometimes, he has still been faithful. He has still been loving. I've seen God's mercy uh, in my life for sure. I've seen God's sovereignty or his control uh, over the, the elements and the circumstances of life. When we planted City Chapel, I wasn't sure it was going to work. And I was like, oh, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough anything. And I saw God's sovereignty and God's control over my life. Has anybody else seen any, any other things? Has God shown them and written anything in their, in their life? Anything? What's that? Is that what he said? Am I telling you? Sure, yeah. What did he, what did he say? Forgiving. All right. Yeah. So you, you saw that he was forgiving or that he could forgive anything. Anybody else? Redemptive, redeeming. So God is, God is a redeeming God. And you see that and other people uh, can see that, that he is redeeming. Somebody said hope, that God is a God of hope. God is a God of joy. He gives joy. That's right. Anybody else ever see anything from God? Justice. God is a justice God. Yes, he is. He stands up for the weak. He cares. He knows. And he... Somebody maybe have been through COVID-19. Figure that one out. That God is a healer. He's able to heal. Strength. God's strong. And his strength or his strongness shows up in our life. Yeah, yeah. Good. I love it. He's a restorer. Yeah, very much like redeeming or buying back, but to restore, to put back to an original purpose in your life. He's gentle. Yeah. He's gentle. He's kind. He's patient. <laughs> He's long-suffering, slow to anger, full of compassion, <laughs> victorious, powerful. Yeah, powerful. Let's get some power, wonder-working power. In the blood of the Lamb is powerful. 
Yeah, because we've seen him move some mountains. Da-na-na-na. And we've seen him do it again. Da-na-na-na. And uh, yeah, so this is like, this, this is the thing. We are God's workmanship. And I don't know, maybe if I was an artist, I would draw something here. And I'd say, oh, he's painting a beautiful picture. I'm not an artist. I'm a word guy. So I feel like God, like, he's more writing a script. He's writing a story. He's, he's, he's declaring who he is so that when people see us, the goal is that people would see attributes of the living God, that they would get to know us and they would say, wow, God is forgiving. Wow, God is a healer. Because when, when, when so-and-so laid their hands on me, I was healed. So the goal is that God's not putting you on display so that people will see you. Like, if, 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 if this is your life, it's almost like the frame of this thing is your body. The frame is the body. The frame is... This is, this is your physical body. And it's, it's almost like we spend so much time, like if, you can spend so much time trying to make the frame look real pretty. That it's almost like you think people are going to walk up to your life and be like, wow, look at that frame. My goodness, I haven't seen a sweet frame like that in a while. Woo, look at those shoes. Girl, you got your hair did. Look at that frame. My goodness, that is a beautiful, beautiful frame. And it's like people spend so much time trying to make the frame great. It's almost like they're making up for the lack of content in their life. And I'm not saying all beautiful people have no content, but I'm saying it's real easy when you got a beautiful frame to have zero content. Sometimes God creates the, 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 the plainest frames for the greatest content. Because he doesn't want people to walk up and get distracted by the frame. Because you could get distracted, you could see the frame and miss the fact that God is love. Miss the fact that God is in control. Miss the fact that God can restore and renew and redeem. That God, like you, if you miss the message and you just got the frame. If, does anybody know what the frame looks like in the Louvre uh, of, of Mona Lisa? Mona Lisa, it's behind a bull, big bulletproof big bulletproof glass case in the Louvre in Paris. Anybody know what the frame looks like of Mona Lisa? It's not that great. They got better ones at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Probably because the paintings at Hobby Lobby are a lot worse. This is what they got to make up for it with this really nice frame. And sometimes I think we're making up for the fact that we haven't had a great revelation of God. He hasn't written anything in our lives. And so we feel like we got to spend so much time and money and energy making sure the frame looks good. But no, no, God doesn't want people looking at the frame. This is why modesty is important, not because it draws people's attention to your body, but because it draws people's attention away from the beauty of what God has done in your heart. By the way, if you're dating somebody who's a frame expert, you need to go break up with that person this afternoon. Because if they're focused primarily on your frame, you can be sure they're only focused on their own frame. And when you get married, it's not the frame that counts. It's the content of the inside. This is what's powerful. Are they patient? Are they forgiving? Have they learned to have joy and pursue justice and be a person who is a redemptive kind of person? <laughs> we all obsess with the frame and we value frames and put them on Time Magazine and all that kind of stuff. And that's lovely for the world. 
But for the church, it's different because for we are children of God, and we understand that we are here to reflect God. We are a workmanship of God. Psalm 139, we do have this one to put on the screen. Psalm 139 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice that, that David's reaction to his body was praise. He looked at himself, and he said, I am going to praise God because of what I see right here. I am going to worship God because of my body. And we know a few, couple things about David's body. One, that he had red hair. <laughs> the King James says he was ruddy. And ruddy means red. Which is weird when you think about like a Middle Eastern Israelite having red hair. He's a redhead. Like he burns easy. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got the red hair. And so, but then you realize that his grandmother actually was not an Israelite. So he's mixed so it's interesting that a guy who's ethnically mixed within a place that ethnicity is super important <laughs> looks at his body and says, my response to this body is praise to God because I am fearfully. Fearfully means intentionally or particularly that God particularly made me different than everybody else for a reason. So I will worship him. I will praise him because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. I am grateful for what you've done. Now, that's sure how I take care of this body is up to me, but what he gave me, what he did was awesome. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. In other words, God picked out the frame that he was going to write his story in. It wasn't hidden from you. It wasn't an accident. He wasn't like, oh, this is what came out. Okay, I'll see if I can work with that. So every part of your frame is, is an essential part of your story. And the frame is set up to display the goodness of God. It says, my frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And so this is my question to you. Does your body cause you to praise God? Or does it cause you to doubt God? Because if we haven't learned to be grateful for our bodies, then we'll be like, man, God made a mistake with my teeth. I wonder what else he forgot. I wonder if he is really trustworthy because I'm just too short. I wonder if he is really trustworthy because I came from a messed up family. And I wouldn't have chose that family. I wonder if he really is trustworthy because, man, I don't have those abilities that other people have. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I wonder. And so you say, well, okay, well, what do I do? What do I do if I don't rate myself at a 10? I'm fully grateful for my body. What do I do if there's areas of my body I'm not grateful for and I just can't be grateful for? If there's areas of my self-image that I can't be grateful for, what do I do? Well, what I would do if I were you and what I encourage my kids to do one, look at, is this something you can change? If it is, then think about changing it. Your hair color, your weight, if you want to get more muscles or whatever. But secondly, if it's something you can't change, then really the key is to take your frame, your body. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your frame as a sacrifice to God. So you, you take your frame off of your control, and you place it on God's easel. You place it on God's easel and you say, okay, God, you write whatever you want to write 
within my frame. And, 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 and hey, if God wants to make you taller, he can always stretch this frame. <laughs> if, you're, if he wants to make you shorter, he can always shrink it down. If he wants to change your eye color, he can always erase a little bit over here. But, 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 the, but the, the goal is to submit it to God, to say, God, here is, this is how you get a good self-image, by submitting your self-image to God. Not by telling yourself, no, you know what, I'm, I'm good just the way I am. I'm perfect. Look at me. You're not perfect. You have what you would call a defect. And we all do. And so when I submitted to God, I realized that what I thought was a defect was actually a part of the design. Not my design. And that's another thing. When we submit it to God, we recognize, I didn't make me. Every time I look in the mirror and smile, I'm like, yep, I didn't make that. God did. And if God made me, then God must have a purpose for me. And if God made me, then God must be okay with my teeth. And if God made me, then God must have a plan for my life. And if God put me in that family, God must have a plan for that family. And if God put me in that city, God must have a plan for that city. And if God put me in that time period, in that time zone, then God must have a plan for me in that time. As much as people want to be like, oh, this, this generation's crazy. I don't want to be a part of this. No, you are a part of it. You were planned to be a part of it. This generation needs you to put your frame on God's easel. Take it off of your own hands. Could we just pray right now? Just, I don't know which one may have spoken to you. You can put all of them up there. But if we could just close our eyes for just a minute. And I have gone too long. But, but I want to respond. I want, to, I want us to respond to the Lord. I want us to be his children for just a minute before we try to walk our own kids through these things. I want us to be his children for just a minute. And just as I ask you, are you, do you have full assurance of salvation? Because you can. Are you living in full sexual purity? Because you can. Do you know the purpose for your life? Have you seen that? Has God shown you that? Do you have genuine friendships? Because you can. Do you have harmony at home? And finally, do you, are you fully grateful for your body? Hmm. If any of those answers are, well, no, or not really. The answer, the key is the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you right now as incomplete children. Children that are still longing for the gospel to be deepened inside of us and to be internalized. And we ask for complete victory in every area. Every battle. That none of these battles would hinder us in our walk. None of these battles would throw us off course. That we would have absolute victory. Just as we all have our eyes closed, would you just... Uh, yeah, I, I wonder if you'd be bold enough to raise your hand and say, uh, for me, I have a lack of assurance of salvation. I need an assurance of salvation today. That's awesome. Well, let me just pray for those that raise their hand. Father, in Jesus' name. 1 John chapter 5 says, I write these things to you so that you may know. 
I pray that you would bring into remembrance your word, the things of which you have written. The Holy Spirit has breathed the word of God so that we may know. John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. As we agree with you about our sins, we believe the word of God right now. And where there's any lack of faith, we ask that you would stir up faith. We ask that you would impart faith to believe that you are faithful. He is faithful and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're dealing with sexual purity, nobody looking around, but if you're dealing with sexual purity and you need help with that, would you raise your hand? I'd just like to pray for you, pray over you right now. Yeah, all right. In Jesus' name, Father, we come together with brothers and sisters who are dealing with sexual purity. We need victory in this area. We know that you have victory for us. And so I pray, Lord, for an increase in self-control in their minds. We pray for revelation of the path that, that takes them down the road that they know they shouldn't go down. We place them on your easel and we ask for your grace. Your word says that where sin abounds, there is grace much more abounding. Grace is the power of God to change. And so wherever there is sin, there is never too much sin to overpower the power of God. The power of God overrides all of our habits and all of our uh, ways of escape and all of our ways of thinking and all of our addictions. And so we look to the power of God to override our power, to be greater than our strength. We rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, for those who are looking for your purpose in life, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you real quick. Father, yeah, men and women raising their hands, desiring to know their purpose. Father, we pray that they would lean into you and that they would plug into you and that they would be so connected to you we ask, Lord, that they would ask of you what your will is for their life and that they would hear you. Usually you will always speak first about sin because your first will is that we would be close to you to remove all sin. So Lord, we come against every amount of unforgiveness that might be in their heart. We come against every sexual immorality that might be in their life. We come against every barrier that would block them from hearing your, your will for them. We ask for the power of God to be present for them to overcome and achieve victory in regard to their purpose. That they would know what is the will of God for them in this season. Right now, maybe not, maybe they knew when they were 12, maybe they knew when they were 25, I don't know, but in this season that they would know what the will of God is for them. There would be zero confusion. Come against the spirit of confusion. FOMO spirit, fear of missing out. We come against the spirit that would be discontent in the wilderness while, while Sarah is still barren. We come against a, a discontent, a complaining spirit that would stop them from entering into the promised land. May the mouths of complaining be silenced. May faith rise up. In Jesus' name. If you're dealing with a desire for genuine friendships and you're just really needing friendships in that area, would you just raise your hand so we can pray over you? Father, Lord, we need, we need genuine friends. We pray for you to open doors 
for these ones who are raising their hands for genuine friendships. Lord, we ask that you would open up doors in their everyday life. We pray that, that they would begin to be the, the people that you're calling them to be and that they would be like a magnet. They would draw people, like-minded people. They would draw people who are hungry for God. They would draw the people, maybe they're in this church, maybe they're not in this church, but that you would draw people to them. Not a lot, but that they would have one or two with three solid companions. Those who are married, Lord, that their spouses would be that solid companion. Not that they can only draw from, but that they can input into. Like Jonathan and David, that they would find somebody who believes in their calling, who believes in God's best for them and is ready to stand there alongside them and help them. Lord, send them help. You're needing more harmony in your home. Would you raise your hand? I can pray over the homes of City Chapel. Father, we pray over these homes that you would bring harmony to the home, that, that children, you, you said that when you poured out your spirit, that you would turn the hearts of children toward their fathers and fathers toward their children. And so, Lord, we, that's what your spirit does. So pour out your spirit in these homes. Turn the hearts of parents toward their kids and turn the hearts of kids toward their parents. And toward I know we don't understand each other all the time and we're very different and, we, and there's bickering and fighting because we desire different things but Lord may we submit our desires may our kids submit our desires may husband and wife submit desires to you oh Lord may we be, may we be full of grace for each other Lord, raise up a spirit of grace. May we have a lot of room for each other's mistakes, a lot of room for each other's quirkiness and weirdness, a lot of room for each other's ignorance, a lot of room even for each other's sin, that we're able to forgive and help move forward, change, things would be different because we are able to forgive, not, not, not to be a doormat, but to, but to be able to forgive and move forward, not to have to be proven right, not to have to get right, not to have to get revenge against the spirit of revenge we leave room for for the judgment of God that if God wants to judge my brother or my sister God can do that if God wants to hold my parents accountable God can do that but me I'm not going to raise a hand against them I'm going to honor them I'm going to speak good of them father within our homes may we also honor our parents that are outside the home May our kids grow up hearing their grandparents being honored. May their kids grow up seeing us model for them how we want them to treat us when they grow up. May we lead the way in that. You care about our homes. You care unless the Lord builds the home. They labor in vain who build it. He, God signs up as the general construction team for your home. He wants, he, wants, he wants you to call him on the construction site. He wants to build your home. So come build our homes, Jesus. Come, come build our homes, Holy Spirit. Brick by brick, person by person, conversation by conversation. And finally, if you're dealing with self-image, low self-image, ungratefulness for your body, would you just raise your hand and say, God, I need help in, in my self-image. wonder if you would just keep your hand up for just a second if you're 
if you could just take that hand and without anybody looking, just put that on the spot. I don't know if you can, but on the spot where you are ungrateful for, where you struggle to be grateful for. I'm not sure how that works, but I just feel like physically we need to take our frame and put it on the easel of God. Put it on God's easel. And so, Lord, we put, we put our hand directly on that spot. And this is a, a defect to us. But it's not necessarily a defect to you. And so, Father, we, we, we humble ourselves. You know what is best. And even as some of us are aging, the frame <laughs> gets a bit wobbly and gets hard. It gets more painful. But you know what is best. And you can glorify yourself even in this frame. You can honor your son even in this frame. I've seen people on, the, uh, on their deathbed still glorifying God because it's not about the frame. The frame is withering. The frame is fading. Scripture says our frame is fading away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day because it's not about the frame. And so Lord, we take our frame, we put it on your easel for you to write your message, for you to bring glory to yourself. And if people see this frame and they don't like it, that's okay. As long as they, they look at the, at the beauty of what God is doing on the inside. If people see this frame and they make fun of it, that's okay. As long as they see the glory of God on the inside. If I struggle with the pain of this frame, I'll go through the suffering of this frame, this, this disease I was born with, this, 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 this adult onset. I'll go through the suffering of this frame as long as you glorify yourself in the content. So I lay my frame at your feet. I lay my frame on your easel. You got the paintbrush. You got the Sharpie. You're going to write your words and your story and your glory and your fame. And when people see my frame, let them not look very long. Let them go quickly to the Mona Lisa that you are painting. Let them go quickly to the story. Lord, forgive me for being distracted personally by my frame as I look at my own frame. Lord, may I spend far less time on my frame and more time walking circumspectly the story that you're writing inside of my life. What does 1 Peter say? Don't spend so much time on beautifying yourself with necklaces and earrings and stuff, but rather beautify yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. Let God write some beautiful words on your spirit. People would see that. Jesus said that, that do, like, do your stuff in secret so that people who see God who sees in secret will reward you openly. God says, and then Jesus said, do your stuff in public so that even when people see you in public, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They won't be impressed by the amazing frame. Simplify our frame, Lord. Put it down. In a culture that elevates it, let us be people who just simply don't care that much about it. We'll take care of it because it helps hold the picture. We'll do what we can to make it healthy. But we are obsessed with what is inside the frame. Lord, let us not raise kids that idolize the frame. 
Let us not raise children that look to the frame. Let us not raise frame experts. Let us call out what you are writing in our kids' content. Let's call out the words over them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Father, we praise you, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise you. Yeah, would you give him a hand clap of praise right now just to praise him? Amen. Amen. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, it's time to go get your kids and uh, carry on with your day, but we're glad that you joined us. Um, we will be here Wednesday night. We're going to continue on salvation by grace through faith, so it's going to be a good time. Um, join us at 630 Wednesday night, and or we'll uh, see you next week for Father's Day. Uh, have, a, have a great week. You are dismissed.